Um, if you're wondering why I'm up here, I work here. My name is Guile. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and we, we really are led by a team of elders that what we call our leadership team, which I'm on, is paid elders, if you will. And then we have the non-vocational elders that are volunteer. And so these three guys are three of them. We've got seven couples. Um, it seems male heavy and also blue shirt heavy today. It tells you how we males are. We're not too creative. I don't know. Pick the blue one or the blue one, you know. Uh, but uh, these guys and their wives, uh, we meet every week and discern what the Lord is saying to us to do. And so that's what we're going to actually talk about today. Before I get to that, you know, we're, we're coming toward the end of our series on prayer. We've been looking at the lifestyle of Jesus, saying if we want to have the life of Jesus, assuming, man, if what's the best life I could live? We've come to the conclusion that it's the life of Jesus, that he demonstrates to us what it means to be human. And so, so, so if we want the life of Jesus, we have to live the lifestyle of Jesus. And one of the big things in Jesus' lifestyle we see is prayer. And so we've been using this acronym because prayer is such a big topic. It's been helpful to use this acronym to kind of divide it up into topics. And for several weeks now, we've been talking about prayer. We've been talking about pausing before the Lord, then rejoicing, then asking, you know, the intercession stuff, and then yielding to Him. It's based on the Lord's Prayer. And so... Lately, we've been in the yield section, but before we get started, we wanted to take a moment just as a group and go back to the ask just for a second for Afghanistan today. And and why that? Well, some of you, if you don't know, there's a lot of crazy going on in Afghanistan right now. We have a number of mission organizations we work with that have been communicating with us um, and we've been learning from what's going on there. And so they've been asking for prayer. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to list out some prayer needs that have been sent to us. Um, and then what we're going to do after that is we're just going to pray as a community just for a moment. Okay. And so what I want to ask you to do is notice as these needs come up, you might notice one kind of grabs you. And that just might be the Holy Spirit saying, okay, pray for that. Does that make sense? It's overwhelming to know what's going on in the world in your phone all the time, isn't it? It's too much. We don't have capacity for it. We actually don't. But when the Lord gives us a little nudge, the fun part is we just get to do stuff with him. And so that's what this morning is, is we, we sense there is a, a with him moment. So as these things are listed out, just notice what comes up in your heart. And then we're going to pause and each of us can pray for what the Holy Spirit highlighted to us. Here's some things that have been asked that there, there are a lot of families having to discern the voice of God, leading the Holy Spirit. Some feel like they got to get out, and there's a lot of good reasons for that, especially any expats, those who are not native. Um, it's a dangerous situation, especially if they're known to be in any sort of ministry whatsoever. Um, some are trying to stay equally as dangerous in many ways, okay, because people just don't know how this is all going to go down. Pray for all the children of Afghanistan and traumatized barrage of gunfire and rockets. That, that's not something most any of us have used to hearing. The other one, pray for the peace of God that passes understanding. But rule in the hearts and minds of each family member so they can sleep at night. Um, the other ones, you know, the Taliban are portraying on camera of peace-loving uh, upholders of justice and humor. Uh, are, I, that's poorly written. Portrayed as peace-loving upholders of justice and, human right, justice and human rights apparently is not what's happening on the ground. Uh, pray that the Taliban will open the borders, not prevent Afghans from leaving the country's desired at present. The way to the airport and entry is extremely dangerous. Pray that stores would open and that a semblance of government would operate. In other words, the people can eat and do work and business. Pray for an outpouring of God's spirit across the nation, that many would come to know Christ and become instruments of peace. Pray for conversions among the most wicked of evildoers. Pray for dreams, visions, signs and wonders across the nation, revealing the true God, the one that loves with an everlasting love. I love that these are the very things being asked for by people on the field. And, you know, did you know Christianity to the Gentiles was born out of one of the biggest opposition people to the Christian faith? Right? Paul. Totally against. Totally 
And that's exactly who Jesus is looking for to say, there's my guy. So what we're going to do for just one second, we're going to do the PRA Bible pause for a second, just to gather ourselves, see what the Holy Spirit might want to say. So let's just do that. We'll just take, it'll be short. So Lord, we just put ourselves in front of you, gather our hearts and our attention to be able to hear what you're saying to us. Thank you. Now as we're kind of gathered, I want you to bring to mind one thing that God has done in your life you knew, you knew only He could do. This is our rejoice part. Something in your personal life you knew God came through for you. Just think about it for one second. Okay, with that faith in mind, let's pray for what just stood out to you. Let's pray. You can pray under your breath. You can pray out loud, however you want to pray. We're just going to take a moment. And pray for what the Holy Spirit identified for you to pray. We worship you, Jesus. You who have become one of us have borne in your own body all the sin of the world. Every evil, every evil that's been perpetrated as you've even thought of in the heart of man. And Jesus, you're bigger and stronger than it all. And your ways are so much different than ours that you, you destroyed the, the powers and authorities through the cross the relinquishing of power so that your power can be demonstrated in the resurrection. So we ask for the power of the cross over Afghanistan. We ask for the power of the cross over your people. We ask for the baffling, miraculous power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And the signs and wonders that the normal accompaniment of the proclamation of the gospel, the signs and wonders, dreams, visions that awaken people to who you are, Jesus. I believe that you look for these moments, Lord, and that, that you are not scared. You're excited about what's going to happen, even through great difficulty, where you do your best work. Let the resurrection and life of Jesus Christ be present in Afghanistan. Thank you, Lord, that we're praying along with you and your prayers get answered. Through your merit, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, just one thing I've learned about intercessory prayer, especially I, I happen to have a job where I learn about brokenness a lot. I mean, just, I mean, you just do. There's just a lot. It's, it's, first thing is to not be frightened or surprised that brokenness exists in the world. If, if, if that was a surprise, then why, then Jesus didn't need to come, okay? Uh, the second one is to know that your heart is not large enough to carry it all. So, so, but the challenge of that is there's two responses you don't want to have. You don't want to try to carry everything yourself and you don't want to also cut yourself off from it. So the thing you got to do is check in with the Holy Spirit. Lord, is there something here that you want me to carry in prayer to you? And pray what he gives you and only that and then move about your day. If he brings it again, do it. The, the issue is to do it with Jesus. Does that make sense? Not to do it for Jesus. There's just too much to carry. There's just too much to carry. That's why Jesus carried it. But there's times he says, hey, come here. I need you to pray through this thing through. And so do it. And God does crazy cool stuff. Okay. Yay. All right. So we're going to.
continue. We're finishing up actually on this part of yield. Uh, yielding to God at the end of prayer, we're, we're defining it simply as listening, trusting, and obeying. In other words, it's at the end of our prayer, relinquishing to God whatever we've asked him. And he, he also giving us other things we need to relinquish. And then listening to see, what do I need to do about this? What do I need? We, we sometimes become the answer to our own prayers or God transforms us through our prayers. So the point is listening is so important. And so we've talked about that for several weeks. What we're going to talk about today is another way of listening to God together. And it's through prophecy. This is going to be an interesting day. I don't know if we've ever done this before, but um, prophecy is is simply this. If you look at in the scripture, it's all over the place. So, you know. It's simply God telling us what he's doing. Prophecy is God telling us what he's doing. Now, sometimes there's some weird views of prophecy that it's something very different. That Joe, Joe I think you do a great job talking about this. Which, which Help us with that. Yeah, so um, one thing I think sort of fallacy we carry around or, or misconception we carry around about prophecy is that it is always a foretelling of the future. Uh, or that that is even the primary goal or focus is to foretell the future. Um, and that's the world's interpretation of it, right? Whenever you say it is a prophecy, they think of a foretelling of the future. Um, God uses it in a very, very different way. Um, it, it, what it always is, what it's always doing, if you pay attention to it, it is reshaping the imagination of the people that are listening so that when God moves, we can spot him. Does it make sense? It's really important we get this because if we if we start thinking of every time someone prophesies, they're they're telling us exactly what the future holds, then we're doing the same thing as people wanting to do palm reading or crystal ball reading or tarot card reading. We're we're looking out, we're trying to get something out of God to make our lives easier. And what God is actually trying to do is to shape you, change your imagination so that when He moves, you can see Him and go, Ah, there He is. Because he cares for you. Psalm 22 is a great example of this. It's all through scripture. Read all the Old Testament prophets, all the New Testament. You'll, you'll see this. But Psalm 22 is a great example. David, he's writing this long poem. And in it, he's, he's mentioning things like they divided my garments among them. What is that? Like he, he gets lost in a vision of Christ. He's, he's talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, he's saying, you can see all my bones. He's writing things that wouldn't make sense in David's time. Like it, it doesn't, it's before Roman crucifixion, it's all of that. And yet, the end of Psalm 22 is exactly what Jesus quotes on the cross when he's dying. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it, it would have lodged itself so firmly in the imaginations of Israelites, of Jews. They would have known Psalm 22. They would have memorized much of it that when they see this happening, it's this unlocking of a door that says, oh, that's God moving, right? But yet it had, to, it had to exist in all this relative mystery for years, just shaping imaginations, shaping imaginations. God's doing something. But we have a tendency to want to like reduce every prophetic word that someone speaks and say, okay, give me the, give me the gist of it. Tell me the three action steps I need to take. Tell me who's going to win the next election, tell me who's going to be, you know, uh, what job I'm going to get, how much money I'm going to make, and and that's what we want out of it. Anyway, I'm belaboring the point, but I just think it's important that we focus, even when God is saying something about the future, he's usually saying, hey, I'm over here and not over here, right? He's saying, this is your future if you go away from me, but this is your future if you come to me. So it's rarely just a foretelling of, anyway. That's really helpful. So have you guys ever noticed when you bought a new car, all of a sudden everyone else has your car? You know, it's like I got a Camry. It's like, man, I had no idea how many people are buying Camrys these days. That's the idea is, is awakening our perspective to go, oh, that's God. God's doing something. Okay. So prophecy and scripture, I, I, we posted online all the New Testament scriptures that I could find on prophecy and kind of categorize them. If any of you want to dive deep to say, wait, this is kind of weird. Is this something we should be talking about? And hopefully after that, you can spend a little time and say, yeah, I guess we should. Um, in the Old Testament, it's a critical way God told his people he's, what he was doing. And we have entire section of the entire Old Testament. 
of major prophets and minor prophets. We say that just based on how much they wrote um, of God saying, this is what I'm up to. I'm trying to help you respond to this. Respond to me. And then we see the same. We really do see the same thing in the New Testament. It's still a critical way God tells us people what he's doing. We see Acts 11, 1 Corinthians 12, 11 and 14 and 15. It was just a normal thing they expected to happen while they worship. So if there's, okay, when you get prophecies, you know, they can control themselves. They don't just have to blurt it out. Two or three, do it in order. They, they weren't saying if this happens. They're saying when it happens. Um, that Jesus would clearly direct his church through it. So we see that the, the way you and I, uh, unless you're a messianic Christian, meaning you have Jewish heritage, none of us would be Christians without prophetic intervention in the New Testament. So Peter, even knowing that God was inviting the Gentiles, the non-Jews into the church, were because he has a, a vision on top of a, a, a house while he's praying or in Acts 13, it says there are prophets and teachers who are together in the church at Antioch, praying and fasting and ministering to the Lord. And in that, it says, set up, okay, the Holy Spirit says, set aside for me right now, Paul and Barnabas for the work they do. That's when they started taking off and actually telling people about Jesus outside of the Jewish faith. And so, spread of Christianity was, was, was catalyzed by it. Also, we see that there's direction given to the church just in real time, there's a prophet named Agabus that we see in Acts 11:28. This is how much these guys put stock in prophecy. Agabus comes to these guys in, uh, I believe it was in Antioch, and says, "Hey, there's going to be a famine in Jerusalem and Judea. They're not even in that nation, so let's collect money for it." And they all do it. They do it throughout all of Paul's churches. They start collecting money for a famine that was prophesied. So he took this stuff pretty seriously. And then we see, I love it in Revelation 2 and 3 that, that, so John, the apostle is, is, here's Jesus saying, hey, write these words down to this church, that church, this church, and that church. They're actual locations and places in time. It is as realistic as saying, John, write this down for Believer's Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And the Transformation Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's that specific. We can actually trace this struggle. These churches existed that Jesus was speaking to in this prophetic sense. And so, so for how do we treat this whole thing, this gift of prophecy at Believer's Church? We figure if it's normal for the New Testament church, it needs to be normal for us. And I know there's all like, all kinds of, you know, that goes with that. I'm not, we're not going to go down into that. We can talk about that at greater length. We also have a long, uh, teaching arc and training that Chris Westoff has developed that's actually deployed, deployed throughout 24 seven, but a number of you guys have been through that really, really grounds this biblically and rationally and sanely in in the the story of the church and so we'll be offering that again soon i don't know when but um you'll notice we we make place for it in worship and if you've ever wondered if you have a word to share that our process is to come up and talk to one of us here one of the leaders because we want to do is to help help you here is this for everybody right now um, because there's there's times it's just for a few of us or just for us and there's times it is corporate and this is kind of a scary setting to give a word. Um, that's why small groups are so important because it's easier to fail in the small than fail in the big. And the way you, you know how you learn how to hear God? Get it wrong a lot. In a loving environment, go, I don't think that was the Lord, you know. It, that's, it's, it's, it's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with this. It's, perfectionism is no, it's not scriptural. Um, so it's, we want to make it normal in worship. We want to recognize that prophecy is critical to the growth of the church. You had some thoughts about that, Jeff. Yeah, I would even say um, I've come to believe, and I did not believe this years ago, um, but I've come to believe over the last couple of years that if our vision and mission as a church does not depend upon the prophecy and the prophetic moving, then I wonder if it is actually Christ's vision and mission for our church. Um, because all of it in the New Testament depended upon 
the vital ministry of the prophetic moving in, of God speaking to the churches. Um, so if we think we can accomplish a vision or a mission through our simple strategy, just through our knowledge, just through our power, and not listening prophetically to the voice of God, I don't think we're, I think we're walking out some other vision or mission, a nice social mission, a nice club we can all join, but it's not Christ's mission for the church. Which we could go on and on about that, but it's funny that you, that often we as leaders can feel, uh, that man, I ought to know what we're, I ought to know what we're going to next. Right? And I found the more I listen to Jesus, the more limited he is in what he tells us. And that, that makes all of us a little anxious, isn't it? Right? You know what I mean? Like, I just want to follow somebody who knows where they're going. We don't know where we're going. We don't. We're reading the same Bible you have, and but we're listening to the Lord, and there are things he tells us to do. There are things that are clear in the scriptures, but there are things he just surprises us on. We're like, okay, I guess we'll obey. And I think that's the very space God wants to keep us in, is Jesus is the head of his church. Not just as a, as a statement make, we're literally trying to live that out. And so, so we're learning how to let God direct us through it, which means we've had over the couple, last couple of years, people submitting words and Tim and others have put together a team to actually discern through these. So Tim, why don't you tell everybody the process you guys have been on to discern what is God saying to us? So let me talk about the discernment process just for a minute, but I'm going to back up a second. The Old Testament and the New Testament prophecy is basically for discerning, instructing, and correcting. Now that's different than I was taught my whole life as a, as a young man and growing up with a little bit of a bent toward the prophetic. I was always told it serves encouragement, comfort, and, um, exhortation all based on 1 Corinthians 4, 14 verse 3. That's just one verse. But, there's two major differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament prophetic. Number one, the prophet. The Old Testament, the fiery, authoritarian prophet who is directing kings and rebuking nations. In the New Testament, Agabus, Ananias, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Philip's four daughters who prophesy. Just people out in the community who are people who have a prophetic bent. That's the difference. They're in community. They're known. People know them. And then the second huge difference. Uh, we're told in 1 Corinthians 4.19 to weigh carefully every word that's prophesied. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19 to examine carefully. In 1 John 4.1, John even goes as far as to say, you need to test this prophecy and Test the prophet to see whether or not he's a false prophet. Now, can you imagine saying that to Isaiah? Hey, we're gathered here today to test your prophecy, Isaiah. You'd have fire called down from heaven on you, right? But we're told to test the words and even the prophet. So we have a small cadre of people. Uh, we're kind of under Joe and Chris's uh, oversight and covering a little bit. And we've gone through a lot of training. Uh, I was just looking at my own uh, day timer. So I've put in about 30 hours so far. I've got about 20 more hours to go. And just, under, and just some basic training to understand the prophetic and what it means to discern a word. So what does that practically look like for us? When this group sits down and we start looking at a word, the first thing we do is have a very purposeful and intentional time of indifference. What do I mean by that? We've got to look at where the word came from, who gave it. And I may have a lot of respect for that person and just want to embrace everything they say. I've got to distance myself from that. Maybe I don't know the person. Maybe I have a little bit of indifference to the person themselves. And I've got to move back away from uh, maybe bad experiences with them or whatever. Um, maybe the topic of the word just grabs my attention in the wrong way. For instance, one of the words we were discerning was about an, an, a, a coming influx of people and great revival. Well, I've heard that so many times, I'd become jaded to it. 
So I had to tell the group, you know, man, I'm just kind of jaded to this. I've got to somehow or another get away from my pre-existing conditions about this word, you know. So we go into this discernment process, and it kind of looks like this. We have a word. We read it. We pray over it. We wait and try and hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to each one of us. We go around the circle. We, we share what we are hearing and feeling. Maybe one thing that stands out to us. We do that again. And we do it again. And we do it for a number of months. Until we can come to uh, pretty much agreement that we feel like the Holy Spirit is saying this to us. Does that does it make you feel kind of safe? <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> that was boom. That was so awesome. <laughs> oh, oh. That's great. Yeah. So that's our process of discernment. So what's your role in that? Again, Tim said this, but I love this phrase. Paul says it to the church in Corinth. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Everybody gets to play. And it actually, you build, there may be some like, yeah, that's, I don't want to play. Too late. You're in. We need what you have. We need what you have. Or else we can't be ourselves. It's that big of a deal. We can't be ourselves as the body without you. So, that means, like Paul said to the Thessalonian church, don't quench the spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. So that's exactly what we've been talking about. I mean, maybe you've had a word or been given a word that was like, that was pretty good. That was pretty odd. Hold on to what is good. Reject what's not from God. So we're going to actually read these out now. These are between December 2018. So you can know we've taken this kind of seriously. That's been stuff been submitted to us, meaning uh, the elders, pastors, etc. over the last um, few years, really. Um, and so we're each going to read some out. So Matt, why don't you read this first one? It was a dream. It was actually a series of two dreams that Cindy Free had. So you could read those. This was in December 2018. The first dream, um, and I'll just read it as, as she wrote it to us. Uh, the first dream was just a beautiful setting on a river, and I noticed a dam with animals, greenery, and stunning rock formations. I sensed the Lord saying that this is believers, and it was serene and peaceful. And then the second dream was setting... Uh, a beautiful dam made up of tree branches, beautiful rocks and greenery. And with the water coming through slowly, it was hindered by the dam. The Lord said, I know this dam is gorgeous, Cindy, but what if we dismantle it so water, water can flow freely through this river? I began to feel emotional for me as I love believers so much. I remember my eyes filling with tears and thought, this is crazy. This is just a dream. But sensing God saying that if we choose to dismantle something beautiful, it will be difficult and an emotional process. The next thing I saw was a rip, the picture of the river. The dam was gone. The water was rushing, and it was beautiful. At the bottom of the river, bracing themselves with large sticks stuck into the river's bottom, were the younger members of our staff. They were swaying back and forth, attempting to hold on to their ground. But the current was rough, so that they were having, a, having to work at staying grounded. It was a noticeable fight. The next thing I saw was guile laying over the top of where arrows were shooting the dam. Then Roger was walking away waving. <laughs> and I was sitting on the edge of the bank and I will, and, and, uh, where she'll need to remember where the rest of the, the staff members are. But this is before we had the transitions in Roger moving on and Cindy moving on as well. And the looking at this process of going, this is what we do at Believers. Will you want to dismantle what we believe, the dam that is hindering uh, the water? So that was, that was in 2018, December. So now I'm going to read one that Laura Kittinger, a picture she had uh, in the summer of 2019. 
She says, I saw, and by the way, we're, we have all these posted online now. So if you're like, oh, I want to read that over there, just go to our website and you'll be able to find them. Laura said, I saw a picture of the Lord sifting BC. It was like he was shaking one of those filters that lets small dirt and pebbles fall through the cracks, but the larger rocks remain in the sifter. It seemed to me that uh, everything put in the sifter represented different ministries or things at BC. And the Father wanted to clear out the things that didn't need to be there. As the Lord was sifting, the dirt and smaller pebbles fell through the cracks and the larger rocks remained in the sifter, but still felt all the jostling effects of the sifting. There were multiple rounds of sifting as the Lord continued to add more things to be sifted and filtered larger rocks stayed in the shaking each time. It was as if something would seem to settle down finally. Then the sifting process began all over again. I had a sense that the Lord would finally be done sifting when water could flow easily through the sifter. But an essential part of this picture was the father's face as he sifted. He was smiling and calm as if to relay, this is good, this is hard, but it is good and for your good. I'm excited to do this. The part with the water going through the sifter uh, seems to fit, she says, somehow with Cindy's damn dream. Jeremiah 39, 18, because you trusted me, I will give you your life as a reward. I will rescue you and keep you safe. I, the Lord, have spoken. Note, this is also 2019, well before COVID happened, so it was pretty cool. So this next one, some Haley Sides, a picture of camel and pregnancy, also in 2019. Haley said, I saw two things during a worship service at Believers. First, I saw a camel. The camel was fully packed, as camel would be for a journey. The load the camel was carrying was at max capacity and piled high. I had a powerful sense that the camel was a representation of Believers Church. The camel came to the gate. It became clear that it was going to be necessary and required to unload the camel before it could pass through the gate. Had a strong sense that the gate represented a transitional place. The camel stopped at the gate's threshold as it was unable to pass through as the load weight far exceeded the height of the gate. It seems as though there could be a requirement and a key for the new season to unload some things of old that have carried on the previous road and journey that are not under the same grace and created dissatisfaction and hindrance. I heard in my spirit, it's necessary to make room in the infrastructure that can grow into the new, not an infrastructure that has already reached its maximum capacity. The ability for the new to be added. In the camel's current state, there was no room to add anything else. I saw a second picture in the same worship service. Shortly after the picture, I saw a pregnant woman in a delivery room. She was full term and it was time to give birth. The birthing had begun. The baby was holding in the canal. I sensed the woman was a symbol of the church and the baby was the new birth that was coming in the next season. After church, I talked with my husband, Brad, and he shared that he had also saw a delivery room and a woman in labor during worship. That's pretty cool. Okay, here's another word picture of sifting from anime cameron this is in january 2021 so can i just point out real quick that each one of these words is written in the words of the people giving them and there's no like we're not changing anything it's written from different people's perspectives using their vocabulary using their imagery they saw that's on purpose god loves to use the different people to bring different images with their own voice and he loves that variety so and i'll say also they were not with each other at all as each of these came in they're just totally from different spots of the community so yeah uh so uh, anime felt this word was first for herself and then for individuals and for believers church during my quiet time, God shared this with me. I saw a giant hand holding a large sieve. I knew it was the hand of God. He was shaking and sifting gold. I knew that the gold chunks were God's people. 
The Lord showed me that these are days of sifting out the world, the flesh, and the devil from his people. He was sifting out unbelief, lack of trust, and separating the sin from the gold that keeps it from shining. The shining means harvest. Before there can be harvest, there has to be purification. Unbelief robs us of our trust and faith. We are not effective as God's witnesses until the life of Christ is shining in our lives. The dirt or sin in our lives keeps us from shining. He is sifting out deceit, corruption, worldliness, selfishness, indulgence, gossip, contention, idols, divisions, hypocrisy, hatred, lying, backbiting, being lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, laziness, indifference, and disunity. Jesus is coming for a bride without a spot or wrinkle. Then I saw a large pot over a fire. It was for the gold to be purified after the sifting. First the shaking and then the fire. Repentance will be followed by fiery trials to prove and test the gold. Okay, so here's harvest word from Joan in the same month. Isaiah 60 and 62 were referenced when the word was initially given. The word had the following points worth noting. There is a harvest of souls coming, and B.C. is a gatekeeper and a hub for this move of God in Tulsa. This thought resonates with a significant part of believer's story. Pete Gregg gave a prophetic word that our church would be a revolving door, sending people out into ministry and missions a long time ago. We would not grow weary about hearing words about the coming harvest. It is coming. The word is calling us to be bold in our witness and spiritual warfare. There's a clear call to come up higher in our dependency upon Jesus. This is an inward work that God wants to accomplish in every one of us. And so then here's the last one we're going to read is the avalanche dream that Donna Nix had in February 2021. This dream was a warning. There is an avalanche coming, perhaps the continual advancement of the world system in our culture and daily lives. The properties on an avalanche are worth considering, such as one, you see it coming, and two, it is all-inclusive and unrelenting, and three, you need to get far away from it or above it. The warning to get to higher ground by taking a familiar path, the Christian disciplines being one of them. There is a personal higher ground, holiness, and humility. God's invitation to higher ways almost always involves going lower. It consists of walking humbly. The evidence is preferring others and rejoicing in suffering and being concerned about what is always on God's heart, winning the lost. The Lord does not want us to be unaware of the things coming upon us and the need to prepare. So... Uh, Matt's going to read for us. Then these are just reflections that our team had on these words that were common themes that they saw. And I know that this is just from the team. Um, and so, but you still get to and should discern for yourself. What, what is God saying here? Okay. That makes sense. So you may have already noticed some themes, but this is what the team had seen. Sir, we are on a precipice of a harvest time. However, all of these prophetic words carry a consistent theme that what must preclude the harvest time is a repentance. The sifting of the Lord is not just one sifting. The discerning and leaving behind of old wineskins. The need to repent uh, because we have loved the beauty of our church more than the disruptive flow of the Holy Spirit. I almost want to read that one again. The need to repent because we have loved the beauty of our church more than the disruptive flow of the Spirit. And there is a deep repentance that must come to individuals, and it will be tried by fire to see if it is authentic. And there is an avalanche coming, and God wants us to get to higher ground. This always means more humility, brokenness, and dependence on Christ. He does not want us to be unaware. Okay. So let's just take a couple minutes here and just talk about from our perspective as, as much as we can tell as elders who spend every week praying for the church and asking God what to do. What do you guys see uh, as our response? Because that's generally what 
prophecy isn't just like, well, thanks for the info. We'll move along with our lives as is. Um, is how do we respond to this? So what do you guys see there? I'll start real quick that I think first and foremost, it's gratitude that God cares enough to speak to us about these things before things happen, right? This is all, most of these were before COVID. And then, um, it, so it's great for us to have this exercise. We're looking back and saying, you know what? God was talking to us about this before it came along. There's a sifting. We've watched people leave and people come. We've watched this this thing happen, this disruption happen, and we wonder, well, is this the end? Well, no. The camel word says it's just making room. You see, it, it's thankful to God that he is priming our imagination so we can see what he's doing when he's doing it. It's my first response. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree, because during COVID crazy, um, that which isn't done, we know, but when that was happening, these words help sustain me. So I was like, oh, Lord, you saw this coming. Because it feels a whole lot like terror and failure right now. <laughs> and he's like, no, I, I was just telling you this ahead of time so you wouldn't freak out. And we can, as a community, support each other. So when I see uh, a dream of, of Guile being attacked with arrows, <laughs> after I laugh, I go, oh, this is, <laughs> this is my friend that I have been in community and life with for 20-odd-something years. So then when he's facing a tough time, I can remind him, remember? This is the Lord saying, this will come. So therefore, I am part of that shield for him as well. I am part of that protectorate with him as well. And when we talk about the words that we do as, as elders, he gets to live his faults in front of all of you. All of us. He, he gets to... Think about if you guys had every day someone came to your job and just critiqued everything that you did all day long. <laughs> That's what he does. But he represents the elders as we make decisions together. And so I've often said that this, the elder board, the way that we make decisions together is like a, a, a spear. He's the point and we are the strength of the shaft behind him. It is not his decisions, it's our decisions. And so when we start to re-remember these words and see, oh... This is what the Lord is doing. Therefore, you can endure as a community together, not just being alone together. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you. Any other thoughts, guys, on the corporate side of things? Just a couple of really obvious things. Um, this thing that the call higher always means going lower. Yeah, it does. It means really embracing brokenness yes. in Christ's humility in our lives. It means vulnerability. It means... Uh, being concerned about my neighbor, about my brothers and sisters. And then this um, thing about repentance. Repentance is not a downer. Repentance is the pathway of joy and life in Jesus. And I want to embrace that daily. Yeah, Have you ever had a friend who's like obsessed with the end times? You know what I mean? It's like, you think that's the mark of the beast or this one? You know what I mean? Um, uh, yeah, and if you're the friend, we need to talk, you know, (laughs) I always, my question is always why, seriously, why, why are you really concerned about if there's a rapture or not? Um, cause how are you going to be any different today or when it comes? Am I going to follow Jesus more if I know it's coming in a month? See, for me, it's always the same response. Um, anyway, look at it. I want to go after Jesus. I want to be free of the things that mute my intimacy with him. Holiness is the joy of living a life that works. It's Dallas Willard said it that way. It's, it's, it's not like just, you know, perfectionism or moralism. Those things are demonic and evil. They're living a life that works in the kingdom that God has made. And, and so repentance is the joy of knowing I'm afraid of sifting. Jesus knew that. So he told me ahead of time, I'm going to sift you. And so get close to me. So my repentance, here's my repentance. Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm afraid of you sifting me because what I realize I'm telling you is I don't trust you. I'm sorry for not trusting you. Will you help me? I need help. 
So that's my repentance right there. You see that? Does that make sense? It, it all comes down to the heart level stuff. If you're like, there's an avalanche coming. One's an avalanche. Is this the avalanche? The, the response is, okay, if getting higher is getting lower, it's like, oh, okay, Jesus, how do, how do you want to draw me closer to you? What do you want to free me from that's keeping me and you apart? I want to change my mind about that. And for most of us, it's most of us in the room aren't doing egregious sins. The sins we're committing are distrust, anxiety, self-protection. Those are most of them. We got some of the other stuff going on, but the, the stuff that's a little harder to trace, <laughs> you know. Uh, okay. And I think there is a tendency because these are activities or actions or plans that we focus on the plan rather than the relationship, the personal relationship. And so we look for those things of, oh, this is what you're doing. Okay, now I know what you're doing, Lord. Then I can rest. It's a call to deeper intimacy not the understanding of plans. Because if it is just that the Lord wants us to understand his plans, then there is no need for him. Do we hold tightly to the, to the plans of God? Or do we hold tightly to the God of the plans? So if I'm more comfortable with, Lord, you can disrupt my plans. You can tear down. If you close this church building as it is, so be it. And as people, this is, this is what we do. Look, Lord, I trust you above what plans that you have. But he gives us these plans so that we know, oh, you're in charge. I trust you. I trust you with my whole life, my whole future, my whole being, my job, my future, everything. And so we have a tendency to easily focus on the plans and not just the personal intimacy. And just to kind of to follow up and amplify exactly what Matt and Guile are saying is, you can throw away your prophecy decoder rings, okay? Um, and and I, I mean that wholeheartedly. If you're still trying to figure out what the third toe of the beast in Revelation means and which country is going to invade whom and all of that, can I just say boldly, you're missing the point. You're not seeing Christ behind it all. And the, the point is to, is to um, when you hear these, stop trying to decode them. And let the mystery, let some of the mystery stay there. Because if you don't allow some of the mystery to stay in it, it's not changing you anymore. The minute it stops being mysterious and the imagery stops hurting you and stops pricking your heart, it's no longer having an effect upon you. And so let some of that mystery stay. Because if you don't let the mystery stay, you forego the revelation that Christ is bringing. So that is heavy, Rebbe. If you don't know what heavy revy means, that's a John, John Free statement. Heavy revelation. He said, man, that's a heavy revy. I'm learning these young people's language. <laughs> yeah, is it possible there's things that God just doesn't want to be clear? He wants to involve you in this imagery so that when it's time, you're ready for it. But you're not in control of it. So individually, I just remind you that the response is all of us are Christ's body. Each of you is a part of it. Okay, this isn't just like we got a word at corporate and this is what the church is doing, right? Um, no, this is God speaking to his people. We are his people together. So maybe in some of this you're going, oh, that's exactly what God's doing in me. Hopefully some of you encourage, yes, that is what God's doing in me. I'm wondering why yet another thing is going on. Anybody have that experience? Just like, when is the end of this? And just, could you see? Isn't it cool that Laura's picture of the father was smiling? He's like, oh, trust me, trust me, trust me. I have you. I have you. This is a good thing. Don't quench the spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test them all. Hold on to what is good. Just sit with these. You can pull them off a line. Uh, go on our website. They're there. Last thing is this, is God wants to speak through you. God wants to speak through you. Um, and we have a process for doing that. You know, So if it's during one of our church services here, if you come up to the front, we'll talk to you. Knowing that we may not share it, okay? And know that we do that 
for your protection as much as anything. And I don't think that's that's necessarily for now or well baked or maybe the Lord's going to do it through somebody else. We're just trying to test and hear the Lord. And but then the, and, and that's even sometimes where some words that are great, that are true, that are accurate, that we're like, ah, it's not the right time for it. And we're discerning it in real time, kind of going, ah, do we need to do this or not? And so the worst thing that can, we can go away is going, well, I must not have heard from the Lord. That's not accurate necessarily. Sometimes it's just not the right timing for it. Or if it's an individual word for you, not necessarily for the corporate yeah. In fact, I remember Haley came and gave me that word during a service. I thought, I don't think that's for now, but I think we need to hear that. That's, that's got something heavy, heavy revy on it, you know, so then it was submitted, you know, um, and we get it wrong too. I mean, but you know, it's just, that's the fun of doing community together. So here's, if you've got something like that you want to share, we got bctulsa.com forward slash share that we love. And you can put testimonies. A couple of you guys have done that. Um, just put them right there. Um, you can type it out. Uh, I think you can attach files to, to it. I don't remember actually. Where's Mark? He was here somewhere. Anyway, um, and then if you want to read these words, they'll be right here. Make sense? Okay, let's stand together. Joe, will you pray for us to close, please? Jesus, first of all, we want your presence more than we want any outcome we've ever dreamed of or pleaded for or strategized for. Jesus, we want your presence. We want to live by every word that comes out of your mouth. Lord, will you light in us a desire to hear your voice, to hear your voice, Jesus, to hear your presence with us, um, Lord, to look around for where you might be speaking. Will you open our eyes? And most of all, Jesus, will you let all of that just bounce around in our hearts and our minds and change us in the ways you want it to change us? We give you permission through the words you've spoken and the words people have brought to change us, Jesus, to let that word wash us and change us. Jesus, thank you. Um, we humble ourselves before you. Um, and we are profoundly amazed that you would speak to us. Lord, let us be careful and in awe and also partake. As much as you'll speak, let us listen. Um, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So goal this week, just ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me? And if you've got something to share, share it. We love you guys. Have a great week.